Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Here. I don't know that I've ever enjoyed worship anymore. I'd like for you to open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2, and we will read verses 3 through 6. 1 John Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We are in a study entitled The Last Apostle. It is a study of the letter of 1 John. And today we will look at the subject, knowing that you know. And that's what this text is all about, knowing that you know. 1 John, chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. I want to begin my thoughts today by sharing with you a real strange and unusual and embarrassing event that took place a long time ago in the game of football. Jim Marshall was a defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings. And something happened with him that became one of the most embarrassing moments in all of football history. You see, the Minnesota Vikings were playing the San Francisco 49ers, and the ball was fumbled, and Jim Marshall scooped up the football And he ran 66 glorious yards, he thought. But he was running in the wrong direction. Nobody ever laid a hand on him. He ran 66 yards and crossed the goal line, throws the ball up and out of bounds, thinking that he had scored a wonderful touchdown for his team when in reality it was a safety for the opposing team. I I was very surprised when I found some footage of the game. This will only take about 25 seconds, but we're going to take the lights down, and I want you to see this. Looking. Stops, throws, completes it to Kilmer up at the 30-yard line. Kilmer driving for the first down, loses the football. It's picked up by Jim Marshall, who's running the wrong way. His teammates were running along the far side of the field, Russ, trying to tell him to 
Wow. Let me give you some interesting footnotes to this. Uh, this happened in uh, 1964. And the first time I used this as a sermon illustration was I checked my notes because I always write down on my notes. Uh, the first time I used this as a sermon illustration, of course, I didn't have the video footage, was 1985, 30 years ago. And I got this idea that the illustration would be much more powerful if I had personally interviewed Jim Marshall. And so what I did back in 1985, I was preaching at a church over in Alabama. I picked up the phone and I called the office of the Minnesota Vikings. And I said, this is Henry Jones. I said, uh, uh, I'm living over in Alabama. I, um, uh, I would like to know if you will give me the number of Jim Marshall, who used to play for the Minnesota Vikings. The secretary I was talking to got real quiet. I said, are you still there? She said, yes. She said, I have to ask you, why do you want his number? And I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I want to use what happened to him as an illustration and a message, and, and I'd like for you to give me his number so I can call him and interview him about that day that he ran 66 yards in the wrong direction. And so help me, this is what she said to me. She said, I'll give you the number. But she said, I don't advise you to call him. Now, this was 20 years after it actually happened. She said, I don't advise you to call him. She said, this is still a real sore subject with him. He's still highly embarrassed about this thing. And uh, uh, so I, I didn't call him. I did use the illustration. But however, let me go on and share some more football trivia with you. That was not the first time it had ever happened. It had happened earlier in the Rose Bowl. In 1929... Uh, a football player by the name of Roy Regals did the same thing in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, scoops up a ball, and he runs 65 yards in the wrong direction. Now, I mean, that, that's, that's amazing to me. 65 yards in the wrong direction. Now, I'm not making any of this up. This is all a part of football history. When Roy Regals did that, they nicknamed him, and for the rest of his life, they called him Roy Wrong Way Riggles. Now, how would you like to have your name Roy Wrong Way Riggles? I mean, that's, that's crazy. But that was his name. But here's what I, here, I want to connect the two stories. This is true now. Don't you love it when your pastor says that? <laughs> Roy is now up in age, and when Jim Marshall did what he did on television, guess what Wrong Way Roy did? Wrong Way Roy sent him a letter and simply said, Welcome to the club. Now, how many of you here today want to be in the wrong way club? Man, I don't. I, I can't imagine that anybody wants to be in the wrong way club. Can you think of anything that would be worse, anything more embarrassing to think that you're going in the right direction, to think that you're doing something good, to think that you're doing something heroic, to think that you're doing something that will make a difference, only to find out in the end that you were doing the opposite, that it was the wrong way 
How embarrassing. Now, one last thing before we get in our text. There was one little difference between Jim Marshall, the guy we saw on the screen, and Wrong Way Roy and the Rose Bowl. Here's the difference. And that is that Jim Marshall ran 66 yards, crossed the goal line, and it was a safety for the other team. But wrong way Roy scoops up the football. He runs 65 yards. It's amazing how close the yardage is. He runs 65 yards, and guess what? There was a guy on his own team by the name of Benny Lom who ran him down and tackled him (laughs) on the one-yard line. Wrong way, Roy scoops the ball up, thinks he's doing something great. He's running. Can you imagine the thought when he sees his own teammate tackle him on the one-yard line? I'll tell you, I thought about that. I really did. The church needs some Benny Loms today. The church needs some men and women, some Christian members, some teammates who care enough that when they see a fellow Christian going in the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing, that we're willing to run them down and tackle them if necessary to stop them from going too far. We need that today. And the reason I've shared that whole story with you is because that is exactly what the letter of 1 John is all about. You, You see, John, in this letter is running us down with the truth. John is tackling us in our tracks. John is confronting us. He's getting in our face. He's saying to us, you, me, all who will read this letter, he's saying to you, you have to make sure you're going in the right direction. He's getting in our face with the truth. He's saying, this is the right direction. This is the way you should go. This is how you can know that you know you're going in the right direction. And this is how you can know that you know that you're not being deceived. John, the last apostle standing, wanted us to know the right way, and he wanted us to go the right way. Friends, as I read through this letter, and as I have read through it, and each week I try to read through it two or three times, just so that while we're digging into individual scriptures, I don't lose the big picture. So as I have read it over and over again, one word keeps popping out to me in this book. Now, there are several themes in this book, but this is one of them, one word, and it's the word know, K-N-O-W, to know. This is, this is pretty amazing. 33 times in this little short book, he uses the word no. I went back and read every verse over and over again that the word is in. And 31 of those times, he uses the word in connection with knowing that you know Christ and knowing that you're going in the right direction and knowing that you're not being deceived. This is one of the major themes of the book, knowing that you know Jesus as Lord and Savior and you're not being deceived. What if? What if a psychopathic atheist were to come running into our worship service with a gun? Now, let me just say this. I don't think he would get very far. We have 
an excellent security team in this church. You don't see them, but we have security all over this church. I don't think they get very far. We got a good security team and some guardian angels. So I don't think they'd do very much. But anyway, let's just play the what if game. What if a psychopathic atheist came into this building with a gun, confronted each one of us, and said to us, you either deny the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you deny him and curse him, or you die. Make up your mind. I'm asking you at that moment, right at that moment, would you be absolutely, positively, beyond any shadow of a doubt, sure? Would you know that you know that you know that you're a Christian and as frightening and as horrifying and as traumatic as that experience would be, would you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you were just a few seconds away from the greatest experience in your whole life that you would be face to face with your blessed Savior? Would you know that? Because, friends, I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the last apostle standing to pen these words so that each one of us could know the truth, so that we could be that sure in every situation, live or die, sink or swim, come what may, I know that I know him. It is well with my soul, and I know I'm a child of God whenever it's time for me to leave this world. Now, Let's look at the text, and I think you'll understand. I'm going to go back, and we'll just take, uh, we'll divide it up into three sections, verses 3 and 4. He says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, friends, you got to admit That's pretty simple, isn't it? You may not like it, but that's simple. That's not hard to understand. Every now and then somebody will say to me, the reason I don't read the Bible is because I just don't understand it. It's too confusing. Now, I I admit that's true in some verses, but the overwhelming majority of scriptures in the Bible are just plain out old simple. Could anybody read that and not understand it? By this, you know that you know him if you keep his commandments. If you say you know him and you don't keep his commandments, you're a what? You're a liar and the truth is not in you. I I mean, really, really, I'm serious. Do we need a theologian? Do do we need a, a teacher? Do we need a study course? Do we need, do I need to shout at you for an hour up here to get you to understand that? Is there anything I could say to you that would cause you to understand it any better than you understand it right now? By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And if we say we know Him but we don't keep His commandments, we are liars. And the truth is not in us. Now I'm going to tell you, sometimes when I read that I feel like I'm being tackled. That's pretty abrasive, isn't it? But boy, John is straightforward. John wants us to understand that this is one of the ways that we can know that we know him. This is one of the ways because we keep his commandments. Maybe it would 
impact us more if I say it this way, because we are commandment keepers. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to us. This applies to others. One of the ways that we know other people are really and truly who they say they are, the real deal, is because they are commandment keepers. It says, by this we know. This is one of the ways we know. And, and I'll tell you, friends, there will come a day in your life, everyone here, my life, your life, every one of us, there will come a day when it will be extremely important for you to know that you have been a commandment keeper, that you loved him so much that you kept his commandments. Oh, there will be some failures along the way. There will be some mistakes. None of us are perfect. But I can tell you that you and I as Christians, day in and day out, should be known as commandment keepers, that we're followers of Jesus and we keep his commandments. Pretty simple text right here. Now, let's move on. We'll go to the next verse, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, by the way, keeping the commandments and keeping his word is uh, one and the same. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Now, the focus shifts just a little bit. In verses 3 and 4, he's talking about keeping the commandments. And in verse 5, he shifts the focus to what God begins to do in our lives when we keep His commandments. Uh, Look at it again. But whoever keeps His word, if you keep His word, then truly this is what happens. Truly the love of God is perfected in Him. And by this we know that we are in Him. How do we know we're in Him? Because when we keep His commandments, the love of God is perfected in our lives. Friends, the moment you get serious about your faith, the moment you step out by faith with the Word of God and you start obeying the Word, the moment you do that, the love of God gets involved in your obedience. You see, friends, you step out on faith and you start obeying God. And the moment you do that, the love of God gets involved in your obedience. I'm going to tell you, it's an amazing thing. It's not just that you obey and it changes your life. It's the fact that when you start obeying and you do what God says do, God gets involved in your life and he says truly. Uh, That's a strong word in the Greek. Truly, this is true. This is absolute. Truly, the love of God begins to do a perfecting work in your life. I encourage you, just take Take anything the scripture says. Take any basic teaching the scripture says and start somewhere. Sometimes we feel real overwhelmed. We don't know where to start, but I'm just challenging you. Start somewhere. How about this one? How about this one? Clean up your language. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's a pretty straightforward teaching, isn't it? Don't let anything corrupt come out of your mouth. That means you get rid of all the filthy language. That means you get rid of all the gossip. That means you quit telling dirty jokes. Here's a good rule of thumb. If Jesus wouldn't say it, you shouldn't say it. Sometimes you just have to 
say, all right, this is who I am. This is what's going on. This is wrong. I've looked at my life and I've looked at the Word of God and I don't line up. I'm going to step out on obedience and I'm going to clean my language up. And friends, the moment you get serious about that, it's not just you cleaning your language up. It's the love of God getting involved with your obedience. And as you clean your tongue up, He starts doing a work in your heart and He starts cleaning you up on the inside. And by the way, while I'm here, just go ahead and clean up Facebook also. My goodness. Some of... I can't believe, I don't even have a Facebook page. But every now and then my wife will say, come and look at this. And it'll be some professing Christian in this county. And it is unbelievable what I'm looking at. Let me tell you what happened. This happened years ago. I hope, I don't remember who did this, but I hope they're not in the service today. (laughs) Somebody came up after church. This lady comes up after church and she said, Pastor, do you mind if I have my picture taken with you? I said, oh, I'd be honored. So she stands here, and I put my arm around her, and I, my picture is taken, and I felt honored. About three days later, my wife said, you need to see this. She calls me in, and I look on Facebook, and there I am, standing there with my arm around her, and the picture right next to it is the woman and quite a few other women in string bikinis with cigarettes hanging out of their mouths, with drinks in their hand, and there I am. Uh, So help me. So help me. I have people all the time asking me, can I take your picture? Yes, but you can't put it on Facebook. No, don't put me on Facebook. I will not endorse your Facebook page. And I want to tell you, friends, clean up your language. Get your Facebook in order. Anything that involves communication from you needs to be cleaned up. And here's what I want to tell you is the moment you start cleaning it up, you clean up, you obey, and God will begin to do a supernatural work in your life. I'm going to just name a couple, couple things. Just some, I want to just give you some ideas so you know where to start. How about tithing? Oh, I knew he'd get to that. I, 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 I knew we couldn't get out of here today without him talking about money. How about, you know, you, here's what the Bible says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you of such measure you won't be able to contain it. People... People come to me all the time and, and they say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm in financial trouble. I, I'm, I'm really tight financially. I need the blessings of the Lord on me. And I don't always do it, but sometimes I'll say, are you tithing? And almost always they say, no, I can't tithe. Well, wait now, you're a Christian, aren't you? You read the Bible, don't you? You call him Lord, don't you? L- listen, you have to tithe. You have to tithe. You don't have an option if you want to be obedient. And by the way, to ask God to bless your finances when you refuse to do what He says will bless your finances just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, can't you connect the dots? Here you are. You say, I can't tithe. The Bible doesn't say God will bless you until you're able to tithe. The Bible says 
bring your tithes into the storehouse and prove me and see if I won't begin to pour blessings out upon you. You see, what Malachi says is exactly what we're reading in our text. You step out on obedience and truly the love of God will begin to do a perfecting work in your life. What if I had asked you this? How many of you would love to have the love of God on your finances? Yeah. Wouldn't you love to have the love of God on your finances? Step out on obedience and just start doing it. All right, I'll move on so you can settle down a little bit. How about this? Help somebody who's poor. Help somebody who's poor. Did you know it's one of the major teachings of Scripture that we help poor people? Did you know that there's one passage of Scripture in the Bible that says if you will consider and help the poor, this is what God says. God says when you're in trouble, I'll help you. God says when your enemy comes against you, I'll defend you. And God says when you're on your sickbed, I'll raise you up from your sickbed. All three of those promises God says I'll do for you if you'll just help the poor. I know people who want to come forward and get anointed with oil and prayed for, but they don't want to go out and help somebody who's poor. You see, I believe this is the way God looks at it. And underscore the word I said believe. I believe this is the way God looks at it. If you're willing to help somebody who can't help themselves, then I'm willing to help you when you can't help yourself. I'll step in and I'll help you. My, my whole point is I'm, I'm trying to say you, we could do dozens of these, but find something in the Word of God. I hope you'll do it before the day is out and say, you know what, I may not can start doing 25 things, but I can start doing one thing, and I'm going to be obedient in this area, and I'm going to step out in obedience. And let me tell you what's going to happen. The moment you do that, the moment you step out in obedience, the love of God is going to get mingled in and with and through that obedience. And when our obedience and the love of God gets all mingled together, do you know what happens? Something wonderful. Something supernatural. It's called spiritual growth. We start growing in the Lord. We start growing in our faith. And mark my word, friends, there will never, ever, ever be any spiritual growth in your life without obedience you have to obey and when you obey the love of God gets involved and amazing things happen well let's move on to the last verse we'll go to verse 6 this is what it says verse 6 says he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked you see friends if we say we know him we should walk like he walked I'm afraid, I really am, I fear, and I fear that I'm guilty too. But I'm afraid that we have tried to develop a Christianity that doesn't change us very much. You see, I'm afraid sometimes that's what we want. We want Christianity, but we just don't want it to change us very much. Here's what we want to know. We want to know that we're saved. We want to know that God is there for us when we need him and if we need him. And we want to know when we die, we'll go to heaven. But we don't really want a Christianity that radically changes our lives. Now, the problem with that is 
is that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, listen to this, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you understand? The Bible talks about salvation being a transformation. And then 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's radical, isn't it? That's, a, that's completely changing your life. I, I, I heard a, a poem years ago that the moment I heard it, it just stuck in my head and in my heart. Here it is. If a man would be a soldier, he'd expect, of course, to fight. And he couldn't be an author if he didn't try to write. If a man would be a hunter, he must go among the trees, and he couldn't be a sailor if he didn't sail the seas. So it isn't common logic, doesn't have a real true ring, that a man to be a Christian doesn't have to do a thing. Friends, I am so afraid that the modern-day church has established and created or tried to create a no-obligations Christianity. See, we want a Christianity that puts no pressure on us. We have no obligations. We have no responsibilities. And by the way, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Every now and then I'll hear somebody say, it doesn't have anything to do with us. It's all about Him. We can't do anything. He did it all. Now, there is a little element of what I just said that's true. If you're talking about salvation, if you're talking about purchasing your redemption, if you're talking about the atonement that was paid for you to be forgiven and enter into the presence of God, that statement is absolutely right. If a person means that it's all about him, it's not about us, we don't have to do anything. If you mean by that statement that we don't have to do anything, we have no obligations, you are 100% completely wrong. A no obligations Christianity is real appealing to the world and it may bring people in. I got news for you, friends. It doesn't line up with Scripture at all. It doesn't line up with Scripture. And John, the last apostle standing, says that it's not Christianity at all. If we say that we know Him and do not keep His commandments, we are liars and the truth is not in us. If we say that He abides in us, then we ought also to walk just as he walked. You see, John is giving us the truth as an indicator so that we can know that we know Jesus and that we're not going in the wrong direction. The bottom line is, do you know, do I know, do we know as a church that we know for sure that we're going in the right direction? Do we know for sure that we're saved? Do we know that we know Christ? Do we know that? You see, John says you can know that. You can know that you know because you keep his commandments. You can know that you know because when you keep his commandments, the love of God gets involved in your life and it's more than just your obedience. It becomes the supernatural move of God as you surrender and obey 
And John says you can know that you know because you actually walk with him. And the more you walk with him, the more you walk like him. And you start walking like Jesus walked. Bow with me in prayer. Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.